It was the day of the election, and all through the house, not a Donald was stirring, not a Biden, not a mouse. Old Joe wasn't sleepy, and Trump still at a rally, as we anxiously awaited the election's final tally. Some states went red, and some states went blue. Some states waited the mail. Most all states were confused. Some people waited hours to make their voice heard. Some left their work early to await the final word. Drink in hand, TV on, the pundits made comments. A few predictions were right, but most were far from it. But now the day's gone. Election day has passed. Will we be able to breathe easy, or will the craziness last? For all the best insights for the questions you've asked, listen in with Austin Taylor on Split the Difference podcast. Welcome back, friends and family, to another episode of Split the Difference Podcast. I know that it is one that many of you have been waiting a long time for. It's probably one of the biggest days of the year in terms of political podcasts. And guys, it is for that reason that I can say this is the best one that we've done yet. I can say it with all confidence. This is the best podcast that we've done yet. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for joining us. Y'all, I'm, I'm, if you're new to the show, let me go ahead and knock it out early and tell you what we're about. So we are a political podcast, and our goal is to look at the left side of the aisle, to look at the right side of the aisle, and try to split the difference where we can and find the truth that oftentimes lies in the middle. I think that there are good things and redeeming things to offer on both sides of the aisle. If you're too far one way or you're too far the other, I think oftentimes you miss the point. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have opinions and that you don't have opinions, but what it does mean is that we are going to work diligently as a community, as a people of here living in America to be level-headed, to be reasonable in our conversations, and try our best to split the difference and find the truth there in the center. So, as many of you know, the elections were yesterday, and... Um, it got a little bit close, to say the least. It is still close right now. I wish that I could tell you who won the election, but alas, I do not know because it was. Uh, it's still going on right now. They are still counting votes. They're still counting ballots. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at all of this as much as I can with all of you. But I can't give you a definite answer right now, unfortunately. I wish that I could. As much as I would like to be able to sit down and tell you right now that Biden is up and that he's winning, or that Trump is up and he's going to win, I can't do that. I can give you my best guess, but I can't tell you with any certainty. So, you're going to have to bear with me. A lot of what I'm going to talk through right now is stuff that I observed last night. I was up late last night so that I could bring all this wonderful, wonderful, juicy news to you guys because I know it's what you've all been dying for, but I can't give you a definite answer right now. Um, so we're going to have to do what all the other political pundits are doing right now and that's scratch our heads and make a whole bunch of predictions that may not come true. So let's buckle up and head on into the presidential election for our first story. Okay, so for our first story and maybe our only big story of the day, um, the United States election, presidential election happened last night and it was a nail biter. Currently, they have Biden sitting at 224 electoral delegates and Trump at 213. 
Um, now, before we say, oh, well, that means that Biden absolutely has it, let's go ahead and take a quick look at the states that Biden has won and that Trump has won, and then look at the states that are still left on the board. So, as we knew, uh, Biden went through and he won, he won um, California, he won Oregon, won Washington, you know, Colorado, New York. Um, we went through and won, you know, Connecticut, all, you know, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Delaware, all the stuff that we, that he, we knew he was going to win. Donald Trump went through and, of course, picked up like a lot of your Midwest states. He picked up Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, North and South Dakota, uh, Oklahoma, you know, Kansas, South Carolina, Alabama. So uh, pretty much all the stuff that we knew they were going to win, they came out and they won. And it was pretty obvious early on in the polling of those states or when those states polling came rolling in, I should say, that they were going to win those uh, those races. So now we're coming down to the wire on a couple of different states that we are not so sure on, right? And a lot of this is because they may still be counting absentee and early balloting. Um, a lot of this is because it's extremely close, so they're counting it, making sure that all of it's right. So we're looking at, we're unsure right now for Alaska, which is going to end up more than likely going Trump. I'd be honestly very surprised if Alaska didn't go Trump. Um, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. So that's eight states, okay? So right now, if you're looking at the polls, Biden has a lead in Arizona, 51.8% to Trump's 46.8%. I've said from the beginning that I don't think that Trump is going to take Arizona, okay? So um, Arizona is definitely a state that has been trending more and more towards uh, the blue, uh, basically has gone purple, and now the Democrats are trying to shift it towards blue, Um that would be a, a, a huge win for the Democrats and for Joe Biden right now. And we'll get in a little bit more here in a bit about why it is that it's trending that way. But it has trended that way and it, is, it has stayed that, that it's looking like it's going to stay that way. Um, uh, also, another thing that's a, that was a huge pickup for Trump was Texas. Uh, so he did end up winning Texas and he, he won it. Um, relatively handily, right? So he won it by about 6%, which is honestly not nearly as much as he won it by in, 20, in 2016. And uh, seeing that how blue actually Texas was this time around, like how more purple it started to shift, um, is a, I think, a huge scare for a lot of Republicans. Like most Republicans over the past couple elections have carried it by 12, you know, 14, 16%. Trump only carrying this by six is a very, very big shift in Texas. So Texas is going to be something that we're going to have to obviously watch over the next couple of years to see what it does. Um, he did, Trump did end up winning Florida early on in the night, which was a huge win for Trump. And pretty much was if Trump doesn't win Florida, he doesn't win the election. He, he could win the election without Florida, but he would have had to pick up a ton of other states that were swing states. So Trump won Florida pretty early on in the night. It was kind of obvious that he was going to win Florida. And that was a gigantic pickup for him. That's 29 electoral votes. Um, so uh, Georgia right now is another one that is uh, they're unsure on. Uh, there's still a whole bunch of absentee and early voter counts that they're waiting on. Right now it is 92% in and Trump is up 50.5% to 48.3. So it looks like Trump is going to take Georgia, which again, I would 
I would be very surprised if Trump doesn't take Georgia. Georgia historically is a much redder state. I mean, the entirety of the state is pretty red, but they do have their pockets of blue, right? So especially in and around Atlanta, Atlanta is a gigantic city and a lot of the counties around Atlanta, you know, DeKalb, um, I mean, all of those Atlantas, uh, all of those uh, counties up there around Atlanta are, ex- are extremely blue, right? The suburbs went very, very blue for Biden, okay? And again, that's something we'll talk about in a bit, but I just kind of want to walk through some of these numbers. So um, Iowa is another one. Uh, um, so right now Trump is up in Iowa 49.8 to 48.5, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Trump won Iowa already with 52.3 uh, to uh, 45.4. That was a decent pickup. I think early in the night it wasn't super clear whether or not that was going to go to Trump, but that was actually a decent pickup for him there. Uh, it's six electoral votes, which I think that he, you know, he did kind of end up needing because he ended up, I think, officially losing um, Minnesota, which I think a lot of people also thought that he'd end up losing Minnesota. But um, yeah, so basically he picked up, you know, those f- six votes in Iowa to offset the 10 or so that would be in Minnesota. Um, they uh, He ended up losing Minnesota pretty pretty handily, which actually was kind of close to what the polls were going to say that he was going to do. Um so, uh, so right now it's looking like he is up in Michigan as well. So 49.8 to the 48.5. That was the numbers that I gave a little bit ago, but that is only 83% in. So right now you're looking at, um, Michigan's only 83% in and he's only up by around a percentage point, which is 100. I mean, absolutely within the margin of error for pretty much any, if you're going to take any type of exit polls or anything like that, um, uh, and so all the polls had Trump actually significantly down in Michigan by a, a good percentage. But now it's saying that uh, according to the actual polling data that has come in so far, he is up. But having 17% left of the votes to count means that, you know, this we're not going to know uh, here until, you know, for a little bit. Um Next place is going to be Nevada. So Nevada, right now, Trump is is down. Biden is up 49.3 to 48.7, and they have about 86% of, percent of the votes in. Honestly, I would... Yes, Nevada is a bit of a swing state, uh, for sure, but I kind of would be surprised if Trump won Nevada. I think that most people... Um, had Biden taking Nevada, Nevada, it's just a little bit, a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a, I guess a trends blue a bit because yes, it's extremely rural, but there's just not a ton of people in Nevada, you know? So at the end of the day, it's one of those things where like a lot of those people honestly kind of live in and around Las Vegas, which, you know, that's just how I guess a lot of, a lot of more rural states are where they'll have like one urban center. Um, so the really big stories, all right, left are Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Okay. Those are the big ones. So, um, right now, North Carolina, Trump is up 50.1 to 48.7. Um, and they've got 95% of the votes in early on. It looked like Trump was going to take North Carolina. I think that he still takes North Carolina right now. Um, next we have Pennsylvania. They have 75% of the votes in. So Pennsylvania is interesting because, uh, they have three, they have until Friday. They have three extra days in order to be able to count the ballots, the mail-in ballots, if they were postmarked before November 3rd. 
but they weren't allowed to start counting in Pennsylvania. The state law is they could not start counting the ballots until the polls actually closed. So they weren't allowed to start counting the ballots until seven o'clock Eastern time last night. So there's no doubt they're going to be continuing counting these ballots here for the next two days. We won't know if he won Pennsylvania probably until Thursday or Friday. And uh, if if Biden wins Pennsylvania, which may very well happen because a lot of the early in, uh, absentee voting tends to favor much more uh, left-leaning, uh, we won't know if Donald Trump ends up winning Pennsylvania or if Biden ends up winning Pennsylvania for the next couple of days. Um, but Trump is up 55.1 to 43.6 right now. So that looks like a huge margin. Like right, That looks like, okay, well, Trump has Pennsylvania in the bag. I would not be so sure about that. I mean, with 25% of the vote left to be in, um, I, I would be very, I would not be very surprised if that margin uh, came together by a, a very, very significant amount. So um, if you go in and you actually look at Pennsylvania, they've got 75% of the votes in. Um, right now, there's a, when it, what it looks like to me is that um, in a lot of the counties that trended more towards Biden, they've got a lot of the votes in for Biden to a degree. Like you're looking at like a Delaware County, Philadelphia County. So, but, you know, you look at like Philadelphia County and they've only counted 56% of the votes. Okay. There's a lot more votes that can be counted for Biden in that county. Delaware County, they still got another 25% that they can count in. Um, Montgomery County, they still got another 23% of the votes that they can count in for the rest of the counties. You know, you're looking at like 80%, 90%, some of them around 70, you know, 75. Um, but for the most part, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the voting that needs to be tallied is going to be coming from a good bit of those more heavily blue leaning counties where the big city centers are. So Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, and Philadelphia, um, are going to be where a lot of those votes I think are starting to trend from and come in from up in up in uh, Pennsylvania. So uh, I don't think that you can go ahead and say right now that Trump has Pennsylvania on or under wraps. Don't think you can make that call. So uh, next one is going to be Wisconsin. So Wisconsin right now they've got eighty nine percent of the votes in, and uh, Biden is up forty nine point two percent, and Donald Trump is at forty nine percent. So right now it is within. It's within 0.2%, okay, 0.2% in Wisconsin. They still have about 10% of the votes left to count, which, you know, is a, that's a, that's a good amount of the votes, okay? That's, I mean, obviously a tenth of the votes is a good portion of the votes that, that they can still, you know, they still have left to count. So uh, where, are these, where are these votes normally sitting around? From what I'm able to tell in looking at the electoral map, a lot of these blue counties are at 95 to 99% counted, okay? The rest of these more reddish counties, for the most part, are at, you know, 95, 98, but there's some of them that are a little bit lower that are going to be dropping down into, um, you know, maybe into the lower 90s and upper 80s in terms of the amount of, uh, amount of votes that they have in. Granted, I don't know. You know, that is a total toss-up. 10% is enough to push Donald Trump over the edge, but if it does, it's going to be just barely. So if we have Michigan that ends up going to Trump, okay, because right now Trump is up in Michigan 49.8 to 48.5 with 83% of the votes in. Way too early to call, you don't know. But 
the only way that Trump is going to win Michigan win at all is if he wins Michigan and then he wins Pennsylvania. That's the only way. There's no way that he wins it unless, you know, he were to win Michigan and Wisconsin, which it doesn't look like he's going to win Michigan and Wisconsin right now. For some reason, it just although he won Wisconsin pretty pretty decently last time around, is looking like Biden is going to end up having the upper hand in Wisconsin, which would be a big flip for Biden. But what it's looking like right now is that um, it's gonna it's gonna end up being you know pretty heavily uh, pretty heavily in uh, Trump's favor for him to win Michigan. And right now, honestly, it looks very very likely for Pennsylvania as well. Although all of that could change. So if Trump is going to win right now, if he wins Michigan and he wins Pennsylvania out of that group then he wins the election, okay? Now, there are obviously still a couple other states up for grabs, like Maine is also up there. They've only got 72% in, and it's going to take a while for them to count all that because they actually did, um, like, they actually the way they structured their polling this year was that you could rank your choices, but it's only got four electoral votes. So, at this point, we're looking at if Trump is going to win, if he wins, he's going to end up winning with 284 electoral college votes. Okay. Um, that's if, you know, they, he officially wins North Carolina. That's if he officially wins Georgia, if he officially wins Pennsylvania and he officially wins Michigan right now, those are the States that Trump needs. If Biden takes any of those, all right, he wins because he's likely going to take Arizona. He's likely to take Nevada. The only other way that I'd be able to see Trump pulling this out, and this is obviously all conjecture at this point, is if um, Trump were able to get, you know, Georgia, North Carolina, Michigan, he has to win Pennsylvania. Has to win Pennsylvania if he's going to win it. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that that's something that Trump knew from the very beginning that he was going to have to win Pennsylvania. He campaigned very hard there from the, uh, from the very, from very, very early on. So, um, what it's looking like right now, uh, Trump still has on the board, Alaska, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, that it looks like he may be able to pull out a victory in. If Trump misses any of those, um, he's probably not going to be able to, not going to be able to win. So, if you don't win, my prediction was wrong. But interesting stuff around the election. That's not just the electoral map. Okay. So um, I was watching NBC for pretty much all of it. And honestly, I think that they did a pretty good job. They gave a pretty good fair shake to both candidates. It was obvious that they were leaning a, a bit more towards Biden and, you know, pushing different, I guess, Democratic principles. But that's okay. Like, I honestly do think um, that they did a good job of actually covering everything. But one of the biggest stories I think of the night um, is around one. The first I think is going to be about how much tr- how much better Trump did in primarily the black and Hispanic votes. Okay, this is something that Trump has been working very, very, very hard on over the past four years, and I think that you actually were able to see this start to pay off in dividends. Okay. So there are obviously going to be counties and there's going to be specific populations that start to, you know, that are demographically shaped with more minorities there, which is an oxymoron, I guess, because they wouldn't be minorities in that city or that or that county. But anyways, there are going to be some counties that demographically shift and are more black and Hispanic than they are white. 
right? Just how it's going to be. So for some reason, there's this lie amongst the media and a lot of political pundits that if you are a minority, then you are, already know how you're going to vote before election day. You have to vote democratically. You have to vote one way. That's why you heard Biden go on that radio show a while ago, and he said that, you know, if you, if you vote for Trump or if you don't vote for him, then you ain't black, right? Like, that is the reason, that wasn't just like a faux pas, right? That is legitimately what a lot of politicians and a lot of political pundits believe, that if you're black, you have to vote Democrat, or if you're a minority, you're Hispanic, you, you have to, you should be voting Democrat. It would just be crazy if you would vote for anybody on the other side of the aisle. Um, and I don't think that that type of language and that type of rhetoric did the Democrats well in the black and Hispanic vote. Um, I've got a couple of great examples in counties, but one great example is Miami-Dade County. So this county in the past has overwhelmingly voted Democrat, and it still voted for Biden. But Trump was actually not that far behind. Uh, Biden, I think, only ended up winning, uh, winning that county with like 53 or 55% which is significantly lower than how uh, even Clinton and Obama did in Miami-Dade County. Um, I think at, at the end of the day, Trump ended up doing like 10 points better than he did in 2016. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is very, very pointedly messaged to consistently Hispanic Americans, okay? Donald Trump has tried to make it incredibly clear that he is for conservative principles, he's for conservative values, and he's for the values that Hispanic Americans are also for. Hispanic Americans by far are, you know, some of the, one of the more religious demographics in America. A lot of them are, are Roman Catholic. A lot of them do line up on more, um, conservative principles that would be pushed by, I guess, something a little bit more similarly to what the evangelical conservatives also push for on the right side of the aisle. Um, and I think that Trump has been trying to hit this really, really, really hard because he feels like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of Democrats are convincing and, and trying to get their messaging to Hispanic Americans. And obviously they're trying to pull them away from Trump, but Trump, his messaging has been very consistent and I think it paid off for him in a huge way. Um, so if you're looking at a county where um, Trump, you know, not only did much better, but he also is getting a lot more votes, and it's in a county that's predominantly Hispanic American, I think that it's fair to say to look at that and be like, okay, well, at least in Miami-Dade County, you know, Trump's, uh, Trump's efforts to appeal to Hispanic Americans have really paid off. So... Another great example is actually in Robeson County, North Carolina. So I'm sure many of you have never heard of Robeson County, uh, but it's actually where a large portion of my family is from. And uh, also the people on NBC last night kept calling it Robeson County. It's like, dude, come on, Chuck Todd, get your stuff together. Learn how to pronounce Robeson County. One, you know, one of the most, one of the most incredible counties there in North Carolina. He kept calling it Robeson. No, it's Robeson, Chuck Todd. Jeez. Anyways, I would not expect anybody to know how to actually pronounce that that county. It's extremely small, dinky little county in, you know, <laughs> southeastern North Carolina. But anyways, Robinson County was carried by Obama um, because many political pundits, and I think rightly claimed that the black community and the black voting electorate in Robinson County came out and voted in droves for Barack Obama. That's absolutely true. Um, Robinson County, demographically, is very, very heavily skewed towards African Americans, okay? They've got a very large black voting electorate there. Um, so, uh, that basically, what ended up happening last night is that Trump won Robinson County. 
Um, and they said, you know, on NBC News last night, they were talking about it, and they said that Hillary lost it because the black voters didn't turn out. Some of that is true, right? Like, the Democrat, they just, there just weren't a lot of votes for the Democrats in that election for Hillary, so Trump ended up being able to pull it out in 2016. But this time around, Trump not only increased his lead over Joe Biden, but he also increased the number of votes that he got in Robeson County by around 6,000 votes, okay? That's a pretty significant amount in Robeson County because it's a smaller county. So what that tells me, even though it's extremely anecdotal and it's only one county, that in a primarily black voting electorate. Trump actually, yes, he won it just the same as he won in 2016, but it didn't appear that he won it because no, none of the black people showed up to the polls. It appeared that he won it because there were a lot of black people that actually showed up to the polls and voted for him, um, which is very, very interesting, okay? Because especially because of what Trump's rhetoric has looked like over the past four years and how hard the Democrats have worked to... Uh, paint Trump in a light that would be extremely negative towards black voters. And oftentimes, honestly, the media doesn't even have to work in order to do it because Trump kind of does it for him. But Trump has not appeared to me like he would be wooing a lot of black voters very well. What I think a lot of black voters saw and recognized, though, is that the unemployment rate for the black community was incredibly low, Okay. By by polling data, blacks are doing better. They are feeling better about their lives right now than they were uh, years ago before uh, before Trump went into office. Economically, especially before the coronavirus, a lot of black and minority voters were doing significantly better than they are right now. So I think that there were probably a lot of black voters, especially in a county like Robeson County, that was, you know, that is for the most part much lower income um, and doesn't have any big city in it. And a lot of them were probably looking at that and they were like, listen, I don't like the way that Trump talks and he pretty much drives me crazy most of the time. But I've had more money in my pocket and honestly, that feels pretty good. So I think that's how he ended up doing a little bit better in that county. Um, so Another big story of the day is actually how poorly Trump performed in the suburbs. This has been a huge story, a huge talking point for um, for the Democrats for a long time about how Biden was going to be able to come in and he was going to be able to swing in and get a lot of that uh, white, college-educated, middle-class female vote. And Biden crushed it in this, right? Like, Biden won the suburbs all the way across the country. That's one of the reasons why he was able to flip, it's looking like he's going to be able to flip Arizona blue, is because Maricopa County, which is surrounds Phoenix, is, uh, I mean, is voting blue in droves. Like, Joe Biden was able to come out and he was able to get a message out that was like, listen, I, I am here to bring back normalcy. You don't want somebody in, in the presidency that's going to be uh, saying and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. Like, I am Joe. You know who I am. You know how I'm going to vote. I'm here for you. And that messaging rang out loud and clear in a lot of these suburbs across the country. If you look at the suburbs around Atlanta, um, he absolutely killed it in the suburbs around Atlanta. If you're looking in Delaware County, Ohio, which is sitting right outside of Columbus, uh, it went for Trump in 2016, but he lost some, or he, it went for Trump in 2020 this time around, but he lost some huge ground there here in 2016. Uh, like I said, Maricopa County, which is outside of Phoenix, uh, went for Biden and it was a Trump County in 2016. So 
a lot of these more suburb counties are, we know historically that the cities have gone a a bit more left-leaning, but being able to see that there's going to be a lot more urban sprawl, there's a lot more people moving out to suburbs from the cities, that's a that's a big win, and you're starting to see how a lot of that is playing out. You look at uh, Texas, you look at Austin, Texas, and the suburbs around that, the suburbs around Houston in Texas. You look at the suburbs around El Paso, San Antonio. A lot of those suburbs are voting very, very heavily Democrat, um, and it's because a lot of Trump's rhetoric is not is not becoming or uh, is not, I guess, appealing to a lot of those voters. So that is not only a big pickup for Joe Biden and the Democrats right now, and it probably will end up, if Joe Biden ends up winning the presidency, will end up actually being what causes him to win the presidency is going through and crushing it in all the suburbs around the country. But it's actually a huge pickup for the Democrats going forward if this trend continues to happen. Um, you're able to see that this has been the the Democrats' plan for a long time is going through and using the suburbs to flip red states to from red to purple and then eventually to blue. And you're seeing that carry out in Arizona right now. Um, if you're looking... In the presidential elections in 2000, 2004, 2008, uh, Arizona, for the most part, was a pretty deep red state. Like it, it was very, very red for a long time. But the amount of growth that you're seeing, especially in like Maricopa County outside of Phoenix, like you're seeing that that is making the state turn purple and then eventually also, you know, maybe flip to blue. They're doing a lot of work like that in Georgia as well. They're putting a lot of work, uh, Democrats are, into places like North Carolina where there's a good amount of met, um, metropolitan areas like Mecklenburg County in Charlotte or like Wake County up around, um, uh, you know, more the eastern part of the state. So it's looking like uh, Joe Biden absolutely killed it with the suburbs. And uh, that is that's going to be, I think, a, a pretty big story coming out of this election and going over, going into the midterms now in 2022. And then what what ends up happening in 2024? I'm already talking about what's going to happen in 2024. It never ends. It never ends. But that's kind of the fun part of all this, right? So with all of that having been said, let's go ahead and stop in. Let's take a quick look at um, what our what the Senate race actually ended up looking like. Because to me, I think this is actually just as, if not more important than what happened with the election, the presidential election. So the Senate race, uh, Senate races are incredibly tight. Right now, um, 51 seats are needed for control, obviously, and there are seven uncalled races. So uh, right now, the GOP have uh, 47 seats in the Senate and the Democrats have 46. It is incredibly close. Okay, now it's looking like in Arizona, Martha McSally is going to be beaten. Uh, She's the Republican incumbent. It looks like she's going to lose to Kelly there. Um, it's a little, obviously it's too early to call. They've only got about 82% of the votes in, but it, Kelly's been up for a while and I think he's going to hold that lead going through. So that's going to end up putting the Democrats at 47 seats and the Democrat uh, the, uh, and the Republicans at 47 seats. Um, and Georgia, it's looking like Purdue is going to be able to hold off Ossoff. Uh, he's right now he's at about close to 51%. Ossoff is about 47% and they've got about 91% of the votes in. So, um, what's good. It's interesting because, um, 
you know, they've got, they also have a runoff underneath that that's happening. Um, and it's looking like that ended up going to Warnock and Loeffler, uh, Loeffler being the Republican and Warnock being the Democrat. Um, and it looked like, it's looking like if, you know, Purdue is not able to win 50% there, then it's going to end up going into a runoff. Um, more than likely around January 5th, I believe, or January 6th is when that runoff would occur. But right now it's looking like Purdue is going to win that. Um, so that would be a pickup for the Republicans. Um, he'd be able to be able to establish himself. That'd be 48 for the Republicans, 47 for the Democrats. It's looking like Tom Tillis in North Carolina, the Republican, is going to end up uh, beating Cal Cunningham. So Tillis was the incumbent, I believe. Um and that was one that I actually thought was going to flip. I, I did think that Cunningham was going to be able to come in and flip. The ma vast majority of the polls had uh, Cal Cunningham coming in there and taking that race. So that was a big pickup for the Republicans if that's able to stay. Um, so Tom, uh, Lindsey Graham here in South Carolina uh, beat Jamie, ha Jamie Harrison actually pretty handily. Uh, he's up 56.3 to 42.3 right now, um, which with all the votes about 90% in, uh, which is... Honestly, it's it's kind of interesting because the polls that were coming in about Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham were saying that that was actually only probably within the margin of error, within 3%. And right now, Lindsey Graham is up 14 points. Um, that's, that's a huge difference in the polls there. Um, so in Michigan, uh, James, the Republican, uh, is up right now 50.1 to 48%, but that one also is extremely early. That is only within 2%. And they've only got about 82% of the votes in for that. So um, right now, if the Republicans win in Michigan and do end up winning in Georgia and they win in North Carolina, they're going to be at 50. Um, if uh, the Democrats pick up in Arizona against uh, with Kelly against Martha McSally, which I think they will, um, they're going to end up getting um, another, you know, they're going to end up getting another seat. But what it's looking like right now, if I... If I was able to, if I was able to guess and give my educated guess right now, I think that the the Republicans might actually end up consolidating more power in the Senate. Um, it's looking like uh, Susan Collins, Suzanne Collins is going to win and win in Maine again. Um, again, that one also is a little too early to call. But if Collins wins in Maine, James wins in Michigan. We've got Tillis in North Carolina, Ossoff in Georgia. Uh, and Sullivan in Alaska, which I think is more than likely going to end up going towards Sullivan, um, then you're going to end up actually the Republicans establishing a, a, a decent majority um, in the Senate. Uh, and the Democrats are you know, going to be, I think, a little bit further behind uh, than they maybe were. But, you know, when it when it comes down to it, we don't know what's all going to happen probably until for the next couple of days. Um, I predicted beforehand, if you haven't listened to Monday's episode, I predicted that the Republicans would actually lose the Senate. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of days. Um, it's definitely clear that uh, the Republicans actually performed a lot better in the Senate than a lot of people thought that they would. Um, and honestly, that goes the exact same way for the House as well. So um, the House right now, uh, the Democrats currently currently held 232 seats going into the election. And right now it's looking like they're actually going to lose a couple seats to the Republicans and they're going to have a 
uh, seat majority, uh, 227 seats, and the Republicans left 208. So they actually ceded a little bit of ground to the Republicans across the country, which I am very, very surprised at. Um, I think that the Democrats had done a very good job in the senatorial races and and uh, and the House of Republicans, uh, or House of Republicans, ha- House of uh, Representatives, because I think that they'd consolidated around a decent message around how much they hate Donald Trump, um, which for a lot of people I think was a very good message, but um, it doesn't look like that message actually was able to be um, consistent enough to be able to win them a lot of those House seats that they felt like they needed to get in order to maintain a very, very solid control in the House. So um, they were, it does look like they are going to be get, keeping the House, uh, which is what I thought was going to happen, but um, it doesn't look like the Democrats are going to take the Senate. So what right now, if I had a prediction going into Friday, um, what I think is going to happen is that Trump is actually going to win the presidency. I still do think that Trump will win the presidency, and I think the Republicans are actually going to hold the Senate as well, which would be a, a we will, I think, get into on Friday um, what that will mean for the country and what that will mean, uh, what that means more broadly in politics. Um, but as for today, I what I think it's looking like is that Trump is going to win the presidency, the Republicans are going to hold the Senate, and the Democrats are going to hold the House. Not a whole lot is going to change at all. Um, if that does end up happening, I think that you're going to see a lot of people that are very, very confused and upset because I think that um, both sides of the aisle, whether you are voting for Joe, whether you're voting for uh, Trump, I think both Democrats and Republicans were very, very confident walking into this election about who they thought was going to win. Um, so either way, you're going to see a lot of people that I think are very confused about the results if they if Joe Biden ends up winning or if Donald Trump ends up winning. At this point, it absolutely could go either way in the Senate and in the presidency. So we're going to have to just wait a couple of days until Friday and figure out you know how all of this ends up shaking out. So with all of that being said, that is the show. That's the end of the final story, and we can hop on in to something that made me smile. This story actually comes from thegoodnewsnetwork.org, and it has to do with the election and with politics. Um, it's a story out of Wisconsin where um, one uh, basically these two neighbors were standing there. Well, I guess they weren't standing there, but two neighbors who knew each other and are friends. Uh, one of them had a Biden sign in his yard, and the other person was actually a Trump supporter. Well, one day somebody came by and they stole the sign out of the Biden supporter's yard. And his neighbor, who is an active Trump supporter who voted for Trump, went and bought a Biden sign and replaced that guy's sign in his neighbor's yard. Um, And basically when they asked the guy what's going on, he was like, basically, I love my neighbors. We love our neighbors and they may vote differently than me, but that's okay because he's still my neighbor and I love him. And I was like, that's awesome. That is exactly how it should be. It's okay if you vote on the other side of the aisle than me. If you're my neighbor and you're living beside me, like, I love you. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to hang out and enjoy one another's company. And it's okay if we have some differing political opinions. We can disagree about it, but still be, uh, still be friends, still be neighbors, still appreciate one another, and still have good conversations. Um, so 
I thought that was honestly a really good and a very good uplifting story that a lot of us are probably going to need in the next day or two, finishing up whatever is going to happen in this election over the next couple of days. So I thought that you guys might enjoy hearing that there's at least one neighbor somewhere in Wisconsin that uh, actually cares for his other neighbor that actually happens to be voting for the president that he didn't want to vote for. So <laughs> with all of that having been said, that is our show. Thank you for tuning in. I know it was a lot today because honestly, everybody's confused and everybody's waiting for the final results, but, uh, that's what we do here on Split the Difference Podcast. We try to dive into the fray. We try to look at it as much as we can, talk about it as much as we can, give our opinions, give our insights, but always be civil. So if you are enjoying the show, please give us a like. Please give us a, a subscribe. Share us around to everybody that you know. I bet you guys didn't even know that I was a poet, right? I started this thing out. Next thing you know, boom, I'm rhyming. How incredible is that? So share it around. Tell everybody you know. Give us a like. Subscribe. Find us on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast with one T. Find me on my website at SplitTheDifference.com with one T. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference. And I'm on YouTube at Split the Difference. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for stopping by. Always remember to remain level-headed. Always remember to be reasonable. And always remember to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.